Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about a very interesting phenomenon that's taking part in southern taking place in southern China right now. Southern China, and particularly the capital city of Guangdong Province, Guangzhou, uh, has long been known as Chocolate City. And the reason why I was given that name is because tens of thousands of African migrants over the past few years, maybe the past decade, I would say, uh, have, have gone there in search of what we kind of call the Chinese dream. And the Chinese dream is really a better life. And the same reason that African migrants and migrants of all nationalities go abroad is because they want to earn a little extra money. They want to start over in a new life. And a lot of them found themselves in southern China. What's been fascinating, though, over the past few years is that there's been a net migration out. And a lot of the Africans that moved to Guangzhou are now suddenly gone. And over the past year, and maybe two years, um, it's really been a transformation in what was once a bustling, dynamic African migrant community in Guangzhou, now seems like it never really happened. This also has huge geoeconomic implications because there's a massive trade in all kinds of manufactured goods between China and Africa. And those traders, those African traders who were living in places like Guangzhou and Yiwu, also in the south of China, how they were in 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 charge of, of organizing that trade and like choosing products and sending them back and you know paying the taxes and everything. So this has real implications for trade between China and Africa. Well, to get a little bit more insight on this, we're going to go and talk to a journalist who's covered the China-Africa community in southern China for quite some time now. We are on the phone now. Uh, normally, she lives in Hong Kong, but I think you're in London now. Is that correct, Jenny? That's right, Excellent. Yeah. Jenny Marsh, who is a features producer for CNN International based in Hong Kong. Uh, you recall we've had Jenny on the show before because she did a story uh, last year, I think, for when she was working at the South China Morning Post called Afro-Chinese Marriages Boom in Guangzhou. But will it be till death do us part? That was a fascinating show. We do actually recommend that you go check it out. But now she's actually done a new uh, new story all about the kind of the disappearing Chinese, uh, the Chinese dream of the African community in Guangzhou. Uh, so welcome back to the show, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. What was so remarkable about your story were the pictures that you included in it. And you had these sliders, which showed the what a street looked like in 2014. And then you slided one way over and you can see what it looks like in 2016. Back in 2014, very visible African presence. And then in 2016, they're gone. What has happened? Yeah, so I think um, the sliders that you refer to, they um, they capture kind of one part of Little Africa. So Little Africa is kind of sort of, it's an area of Guangzhou um, and there's different parts of it. So this one part was called Dunfeng Village. And this is basically kind of... Um, the center of all the activity. This is kind of like the the town center, if you like. Um, and it was a really cool place a few years ago. It was very bustling. Um, there were markets everywhere, lots of big signs kind of celebrating foreign trade. And what's really noticeable is that this area has just completely changed. Um, it's basically, you know, there are very few Africans there nowadays. And the government is basically, this is a result of the government's activity in the area. Um, and Dunfeng is kind of an old urban village, and they've decided to beautify the area. 
so it's, it's the introduction of uh, police presence and the intervention of the government, which has kind of forced the African community out of this area. So in this area, it is true to say that the, the African presence has virtually disappeared. Um, and, and but that isn't to say it disappeared completely from Guangzhou. There are still other parts of Little Africa where there is still a visible African presence. But this area was really the big. It was kind of like the, the if there's a Chinatown in London, this was the Africa town in China, and the, the Chinese government didn't seem to like that very much. Jenny, do we have numbers of what, how many Africans of Af- have actually left Guangzhou as a whole, and you know, and, and also left China? Do do we see an actual indication of a decrease in the African population in China as a whole? So numbers are just incredibly hard to come by, um, because from the beginning, uh, the Chinese government probably doesn't itself know how many Africans there are in China. Um, partly because of the way that the African community comes in and out of China. Um, Often merchants will enter and exit two or three times a year. And the way the Chinese government keeps track of uh, immigration statistics, it isn't at the moment able to differentiate between the same person coming in three times or three different people coming in one time each in a year. And there are also so many overstayers, um, particularly in Guangzhou, who go undocumented. So... From the beginning, we don't know how many, exactly how big the population is, although various researchers have kind of come to different estimates. So that makes knowing how many people have left um, really difficult. So you can see from visually, from walking around Guangzhou, that there are, the population has decreased, particularly in Denfeng, probably just in general in South Africa. And that's something that other researchers kind of corroborated. Um, but I did speak to some of the community leaders in Guangzhou who kind of keep tabs on their particular nation's population in Guangzhou, so the head of the Congolese community and the Nigerian community. Um, and the head of the Nigerian community felt that he, their population had considerably decreased and the Congolese um, leader felt the population had decreased by 50% in the past year. So kind of we're really relying on anecdotal evidence of these people on the ground who are kind of reporting big um, population drops. Yeah, it's not surprising that we don't have numbers on it, in part because, as you said, this is a very fluid population that doesn't register anywhere and doesn't kind of, there's no one to track it. Just the same way that in Africa, uh, it's impossible to track how many Chinese migrants there are. But, you know, anecdotally, there does seem to be a change that's underway. Um, There are a lot of reasons that could lead to this. Why don't you walk us through some of your thinking and maybe what some of the folks that you spoke with on the ground talked to you about as to why people might be packing up and leaving as part of what is being now framed as a new kind of phenomenon called U-turning and this idea of, you know, you turning your way back to Africa again. What are some of the reasons that people are giving you for, for the U-turning phenomenon? Um, well, there are a few reasons. It's not just one thing happening. Um, some of them are just sort of, I think, quite inevitable. I think the first one is that China's economy is changing. Um, when these guys arrived in China to 10 years ago, some of them 15, 20 years ago, it was such um, a nascent economy. It was really on the rise, whereas now China's economy is much stronger um, and it's, it's more mature in some ways. So the Chinese government, for example, is really cracking down on the production of fake goods, um, intellectual property rights in China because there's been huge pressure on it from the international community to do that. So that means um, Africans who are kind of making a big bucks 
on shipping fake goods back to Africa and selling them. It's harder to come by those goods now. Um, Labour costs in Chinese factories are rising, so that means that the goods that they're buying are also now more expensive to buy. Um, so that's that's kind of one reason. I think also, I mean, and then as, as it becomes less profitable, I think people start to really are less willing to put up with the hostility that they face in China from some people. Um, I don't think it's across the board. You can, you know, it's not the whole community, but there is definitely um, challenges with racism in China on the ground from the actual Chinese traders they're dealing with. Um, I think one guy, Mustafa, he was, um, he said to me something like, you know, if you're here for 13 years and you felt like you haven't ever really made a true Chinese friend, it's kind of disheartening and maybe it makes you feel like this isn't somewhere that you can call home in the long term. Um, so there's also that. And I think what's really brought it to a head over the past 18 months is the economy back in the African nations. Because I think this, this whole thing is um, so interdependent on each other. And there's a dollar drought at the moment in places like Nigeria. So the Africans in Nigeria can't get hold of the dollar to come out to China to you know, buy things with, they can't move their money back. If you transfer your money back to the Nigerian bank, you can't get it out of the bank in dollars anymore. So that's really stifled the trade as well. I think it's kind of that's been the straw that broke the camel's back. I think for many of the traders uh, in Guangzhou. Uh, do you have any indication of where these people are going? Are, there, are a lot of them returning to Africa, or are they going to a third country? Uh, you know, possibly also in Asia. And and meanwhile, you know, and while I'm asking, Eric, as, as someone who spends time in Southeast Asia, do you, I've just by walking on the streets in Vietnam, have you seen an increase in African faces? No, not at all. Um, and it's interesting because Vietnam is a country that doesn't have the highest immigration bar to, to cross. So this is one of the easier places to get a tourist visa to come. Uh, it's not like Hong Kong, for example, which is very strict in its visas and its immigration policy. And I think, Jenny, um, I'm not sure if you made reference to this, but there's been a lot of coverage about how a lot of the African migrants from southern China have been trying to go to Hong Kong and finding a very unwelcome reception there as well and getting pushed back across the border. But here in Vietnam, uh, no, there isn't. Uh, there isn't. You know, the Vietnamese are particularly tough with Africans, in particular Nigerians. Uh, there have been some very high-profile cases of Nigerians smuggling drugs or allegedly smuggling drugs and then being executed. So I think all of that together has kind of created this this sense that this is not necessarily a very hospitable place for, for, for Africans. It's interesting that you say that um, because when you talk to the African migrants who are thinking of leaving in Guangzhou, they all talk about, maybe I'll go to Vietnam, maybe I'll go to Bangladesh, um, but I haven't actually met anyone yet who's done it. And um, there's a researcher, Roberto Castillo, who's done loads of work on this. And he's he kind of says, you know, it's a nice idea to think about going to Vietnam or India or Bangladesh, but in reality, they are much probably going to be much harder places uh, to do business because Guangzhou is just so set up for it. It has the port right there. They have the logistic companies. You know, it's the whole, from the factory to the shipping, everything's so set up. It's just such a, a well-organized system that it's really easy to kind of arrive and, and slot into that whole mechanism yeah it's much so, yeah, it's different here there, there that infrastructure isn't in place here this is this is basically china circa 1998 1999 so back then in guangzhou i was in guangzhou back then and there were relatively few africans there very few migrants for the most part there in guangzhou because it just wasn't developed the way it is today as you pointed out 
Um, but I think what let me just turn the, the focus a little bit to the Chinese government. You know, it, it kind of annoys me to hear you say in in your reporting, and then and this was also verified in a WikiLeaks cable back in two thousand and eight, which was those. Uh, Julian Assange uh, leaked cables from the United States uh, government, and that the Chinese authorities apparently were extremely concerned about the growing visible African population in this community, this migrant community that was forming in southern China. And so then we fast forward to 2012, 2014, and this beautification campaign comes along. I love the word beautification, which means clean out Africans or clean out migrants to make it more beautiful. And uh, I guess, you know, it just annoys me to no end because, you know, I come from California where we have huge Chinese immigrant populations. Obviously, in Africa, there are now very, very sizable immigrant Chinese populations. Pretty much every country in the world has a Chinese migrant population. And I know that, you know, politics domestically and politics internationally are two totally different things. But just as an observer looking from the outside in, it's just like, come on, you know. I mean, the Chinese are everywhere around the world. And and don't necessarily face these this level of intense discrimination in terms of policy and being swept out of entire communities. Did that occur to you at all, the irony that the Chinese were cracking down on an immigrant community like this when, in fact, the Chinese themselves are traditionally migratory? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, the fact that anywhere you have a Chinese population, you'll have a Chinatown. You know, they definitely, you know, the Chinese community is famous, Um sort of clustering and creating sort of a little annex where the community can congregate and come together. And um, those Chinatowns really are kind of, they're left to get on with it, as far as I know, in most countries. Certainly in Africa, there are lots of uh, sort of flourishing Chinatowns. So the idea that this Africa town wasn't going to be tolerated, you know, just wasn't going to be permitted. Um, and I think that hasn't escaped the uh, the African traders who are in Guangzhou as well, because they see that reverse uh, Chinese population in their home nations. And they're well aware that, you know, there's a Chinatown in Lagos and other countries too. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing to note is that this whole beautification, um, it isn't just specifically targeted at Africa town or Little Africa. It is a wider policy of upgrading these urban villages. But the way that it was done in, um, in Denfeng village was kind of different. And they sort of use that policy as a legitimate way to kind of clear out that population. And the police presence they brought into that um, tiny area, really, of Guangzhou is just its kind of alarming. Like When you go into the police station there, there are about 10 policemen um, sat around. There's police stationed all through the main thoroughfare. And there's another kind of police station halfway up it as well. So it's obviously a very hostile environment. Do you have any um, any indication of what this is doing to African populations in Guangzhou? You spoke to all of these community leaders. Are they talking to you about how it's changing their community? Like who is remaining and who is leaving? I think the ones that are remaining um, are the people that have been there for a longer time. So they've kind of already weathered a few storms perhaps and this is their life. I think those are the people that I get the sense are remaining but I think there's also a, an idea now that they've learned these skills in China and they quite fancy the idea of taking them back to their African nations and seeing if they can't set up a factory in their home countries. You know, Kobus, it's very interesting because we're talking about immigration into China. Normally we talk about emigration out of China. 
And, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that China traditionally is not an immigrant country. This is a country that is 91.8% ethnically Han Chinese. There's not really been a tradition of immigration that's there. Up until recently, they really didn't have an immigration enforcement mechanism either. So, But that's really been in the past five years now. Foreigners of all stripes, not just Africans, but all foreigners, have now come under much tighter scrutiny for immigration. And that might have to do with the fact that uh, the economy is slowing, and so when economies slow, and we new, now move into this kind of slow growth era that China's economy is maturing into, uh, Im- immigration tends to to be something that the governments crack down on. And so I think it's interesting that we put this in a broader context that Africans are not necessarily being singled out because they are African. Most likely, it's because they are foreign. Um, Europeans, white people, Westerners of all shapes, sizes, and colors have been, uh, you know, have kind of fallen under the immigration net in places like Shanghai and Beijing as well. But that being said, the intensity of the crackdown is just so alarming to me. And it's so frustrating because, you know, if African countries were to do the same thing to Chinese migrants, we wouldn't certainly have anywhere near the numbers of migrants that we have, 1 million, 2 million, these huge numbers in Africa. And so a little bit of, of tolerance and sympathy, considering that China has been the net exporter of immigrants for centuries, uh, it's just it's frustrating to watch and it's frustrating to see. But I, I just, you know, I, that that's my two cents on it. What's what's your final thoughts, Kobus? I completely agree. I also think it's probably a good idea to to see how this fits in with other domestic security issues in China, to which extent it, it is linked to other kinds of crackdowns other kinds of security concerns um, coming from the Chinese government. So it'll be interesting to see how it fits into the how the Xi Jinping you know, kind of government arranges itself in terms of, of all kinds of minorities within China and then how that kind of reflects on Chinese populations elsewhere. Jenny, let's get your forecast for where you see this trend going. Do you see this being basically an irreversible kind of phenomenon, the U-turning trend, both that African migrants decide they don't want to stay and that Chinese authorities make it more and more difficult for them to stay? I think I think there's probably two things. I think one is that, in a way, maybe it's natural um, that the, this trend kind of will decline and plateau a little bit because I think as China's economy uh, matures, it's just natural that it's not going to be this as much uh, of a cash cow as it used to be because things have become more expensive to manufacture. So I think maybe... You won't see as many traders being in Guangzhou as before, but I think you'd still see some business being done there. Um, but in terms of how they respond to hostility, I think it would be really interesting to look at other cities um, like Hubei and Wuhan, because I've heard that actually some of the African population is dispersing to these other cities um, because it's easier to do business if you're not such a big visible presence. The government is just worried about these big kind of displays of foreigners in one place. So maybe that would be the way forward for these migrants if they want to carry on trading, just to kind of disperse around the other big cities in China. Jenny Marsh is a producer at CNN International in the Hong Kong Bureau, and she's been a journalist who's been following the African community in southern China, and particularly this phenomenon known as U-turning and the kind of breaking up, the dilution, the kind of however you want to call it. We don't really know exactly what it is, as Jenny kind of pointed out, but there is change going on in the African communities in southern China. And her article on CNN.com, which we highly, highly recommend, The African Migrants Giving Up on the Chinese Dream. Just look for Jenny Marsh and uh, African Migrants in Google, and you will find it. Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to join us to talk about your excellent reporting. 
No worries. Thank you for having me on. If people want to follow you and what you're doing at CNN in Hong Kong, what's the best way for them to stay in touch? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is J E N N M A R S H. Excellent. And Cobus, we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinesk and Eric at Eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa. China Africa.